struggling into a parachute. When he had fastened the webbing about his legs and shoulders, he dragged a small hand camera out of the locker and draped it around his neck by a strap. Stuffing a rubber film protector into his overalls, he started toward the amphib. His way was blocked by a man built of spheres. A man who looked like anything but the ace cameraman of Mammoth Pictures. All the news always. Going places? Said Bert Goddard, innocently. Johnny slowed down with great unconcern. Hello, fella. Say, I got a hot tip. There's a big oil fire over in Jersey. Million dollar blaze. Gotta cover it right off. Ain't you heard about it? Goddard grinned complacently. You know, Johnny, little boys that tell lies never go to heaven. It's something in the shipping lanes, says that amphib. Why, Bert, you never heard me tell a lie in my life. Honest, it's just an old, old fire. Goddard! Bellowed a teletype man from a nearby office. The Kalalo burned at sea! My pal. Well, I tried anyhow. Besides, we bought all the amateur film aboard not half an hour ago. How are you going to pick it up? Guess, said Johnny, adjusting his harness and surging past. You damned fool! You want to get yourself drowned? I regret that I have only one life to give to my company, said Johnny above the clatter and clank of the engine as he climbed in. I'm going to get some air shots anyhow. Take your pick, said Johnny, grasping the controls. He let off the brakes, and the amphib wallowed ahead, wings flashing in the Long Island sunlight. He kicked her around into the wind and lanced down the concrete track and into the air. Irish pulled his hood shut and clamped the radiophones to his ears, listening attentively. Finally, he tapped Johnny on the shoulder. Course 93 degrees. There's a 30-mile tailwind at 2,000. Gotcha, said Johnny, banking into the course. Far behind them, the smoky towers of Manhattan gradually sank down under the horizon. Below and ahead, a steel-plated sea with a crisscross pattern of waves, small and distinct from this height, tried to appear innocent after a roaring night of it. Calmly, Johnny scrutinized each ship in the lanes below, checking off freighters and tugs as he tried to locate the SS Birmingham, Alabama. At long last, he saw a pillar of greasy smoke on the far horizon and knew that the rescue ship must be almost directly below. Then he saw it, a child's toy on a mirror. He shook the stick and Irish took over. Here's the automatic said Johnny, handing back the small camera. After you drop me, take a turn around the Kololo out there and get some air shots of it. Then come back and put her close to the rescue ship. When you see me dive overboard, put her down. And by God, I'll break your neck if you make me swim more than a hundred yards. You going to jump? Said the startled Irish, getting white and tongue-tied. Sure, but, but, gee whiz, Johnny. Maybe the chute will sink you. I thought we'd land and let that rescue ship pick you off. That captain wouldn't stop for us, shouted Johnny above the engine's drone. You'll have to pick me up if I'm in the water. It's my only chance of getting aboard. They'll send out a boat. I hope. Irish was speechless, forgetting that he had the stick in his hands until the amphib started to come up into a stall. He leveled out hurriedly and, with fascination, watched Johnny stuff a checkbook into the rubber container and then push back the hood to stand up into the blast of air. Johnny, taking cautious holds, worked his way out on the wing, a 180-mile-an-hour wind making his overalls thunder against him. He glanced back at Irish, who nodded. Johnny tightened up on his nerve. He always hated a jump, 
hated the wind in his nose, blowing upward until it felt like he'd lose the top of his head. Sea and sky were too much of a shade to be detailed. He hurtled down through a blue void, only occasionally catching sight of the rescue ship below. He felt for his heart to see if it was still beating, that being the best method of locating a ripcord, never held at the beginning of a drop, lest it pull and foul on the ship. The smooth sensation against the seat of his pants told him that the chute was pleasantly sliding forth. For a moment of chill, he wondered who had packed it, whether it would crack open. Water split a free-falling body into chunks. Abruptly, mighty hands grabbed him and tried to tear him apart, and then swung him in a long, dizzy arc, with the great white umbrella tipping slowly high above. He caught his breath, cursing the wind in his nose. Hell of a life! Johnny told a seagull. He slipped the chute to get more directly in the path of the SS Birmingham, Alabama, which now began to have planks in its deck.